Welcome back to the Riskers podcast, everyone. I'm Caleb Brakey, founder and CEO of Speak It to Book and Sermon to Book. Thank you so much for listening. It, it really means a lot to me that you inhale these podcasts, that you think about them, and hopefully that they actually impact your life just a little bit. Today, we're going to be talking about making disciples. Now, that can hit you numerous ways, uh, depending on your background, how you were raised, what you were taught. I remember as a kid, making disciples meant you had to be a missionary. I mean, you had to go to the furthest parts of the world. And as a kid, you just spent your time praying, Lord, don't make me do it. At least that's what happened to me. So what is making disciples like the real way? What, what does God actually say? Well, today we welcome Dave Buring, founder and president of Lionshare and the host of the Wisdom Unlocked, the Ways of God podcast. Dave has a lifetime commitment to making disciples, shaping leaders, and equipping the church. And he's the author of several books, including The Great Opportunity, Making Disciples of Jesus in Every Vocation. And if you desire to fulfill your part in the Great Commission, to, to overcome all these questions like I did as, as a child of God, who God clearly showed me that, no, Caleb, I'm not going to scare you into moving across the world to be this missionary. No, no, no. I have other people gifted for that exact purpose, but you, child, I have something different for you to make disciples. I wonder if that's where you are today. You might be a truck driver. You might be a teacher. You might be working at a pizza shop. Whatever it is, God has a part, a role for you in his great commission. And it may not be the same tomorrow as it is today. That is why it's important to listen to the Spirit, to commune with God and ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do today? What's the most important thing today? Invite him into these moments of your life. I hope you are blessed with this amazing interview with Dave Buring. So the big question is this. How do Jesus-loving entrepreneurs, pastors, and driven men and women of faith like us who are taking risks to pursue their kingdom calling, how do we get our mission, the problem we're working to solve, the pain we're striving to heal, how do we fully realize it here on earth? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Caleb Brakey, and welcome to the Riskers Podcast. Welcome, Dave, to the Riskers Podcast. Brother, I'm so excited to have you and to dive into this. We've been talking, of course, like all these weird God connections where it's like you can only look over your shoulder and be like, how could that be that yes. like... There must have been like three, four different touch points yes. from all over the country where somehow our paths have connected in, in, in some weird ways. Brother, welcome to the Riskers podcast. I'm stoked Thanks. to have you here. It's a privilege to hang with you. So 20 years old, YWAM. Tell me, yeah. tell me a little bit about where things started for you. Yeah. So 
I grew up in a home where I have uh, a mom that would get up early in the mornings, about 4.30, and pray for her family and the nations. And I watched my dad in 1973 leave business and at 39 go back to Bible college, which you know that happens today more frequently. But back then, he was only one of two guys that were near 40 in the whole university. And it began to set a course of my life of trying to follow and obey Jesus. I was about 13 years of age at the time. And uh, upon graduating from high school, I was going to actually go uh, into journalism, television broadcasting. And uh, But I had been to Kona, Hawaii. My dad was there for some training. And so my family went out when I was a junior in high school. And I met a man by the name of Lauren Cunningham, who's the founder of Youth of the Mission. And Lauren looked me in the eyes and he challenged me. He said, hey, look, before you go to the university, consider coming back to Kona and doing a discipleship training school, or sometimes people call it a DTS. And so I go back home as a junior. I'd been accepted at the University of Minnesota, and I'm now with Youth of the Mission. And my mom and dad didn't say a lot. They just prayed, but I knew what they were pulling for, right? <laughs> and uh, and I end up going to Kona, and I wasn't just there for the six months. I ended there seven years. And wow. it was a time of shaping in my life, being discipled, and catching a vision for what it means to be a disciple maker. Wow. So you were, you, you had some great models in your life from, from the very start, a prayer warrior, uh, the opportunity to, to, to head to Kona. What was it like, what was going on inside in that moment? Cause I could imagine, I mean, that's, that's no small decision like Minnesota or Kona, a broadcast journalism or <laughs> discipleship training. I mean, yeah. take us into those moments when, when you're just sitting there and you're thinking through this through and, and you're praying about it. Yeah. How'd you, how'd you reach the decision? Yeah. I remember um, just weighing some of those things out and you know how it is. It's you, you're trying to, even as the 18 year old, trying to listen to God the best I could. And, um, and I, I remember like it was yesterday and I'm, I'm 61 now, Caleb. So we're talking, you know, this September will be 44 years ago. And I remember getting on Western airlines, which exists no more. Hmm in the Minneapolis St. Paul airport, still being able to see mom, dad, and my brother kind of waving through the window and having some tears come to my eyes, not weeping, but tearing up, kind of realizing, okay, this is a, this is a new day in my life and kind of that first big step. But there was that sense of the Lord's presence and nearness. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was stepping into the right thing. I didn't know I'd be there seven years, but I'm very, very grateful for those that have poured into my life. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Did you ever feel like, like when you were in Kona, did the thoughts of what, what if, if I chose the other side of the fork in the road, or was it like, God was like, no, like, here we go. Like we're, we're on this. And it was almost like it didn't exist anymore. That, that, that other path. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, um, it was something that I, I very much loved. Like, and I realized that God had gifted me with some public communication gifts, but it, it began to be used differently. And, and I remember actually the night um, someone had spoken on the power of the Holy Spirit. We were ready to go on outreach the next week, 18 years old. And, you know, someone challenged us. If you've never encountered God like this um, in, in the fresh and filling of God's spirit in your life, come up. And I did. And one of the guys who was one of my leaders, he said this, Dave, I know you came from a good family. And I know you have a sense inside of what you want to do career-wise. And then he looked at me, he said, before we ask to pray for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit in you, is there any of those things you need to lay down and give to God? 
And so I remember very vividly that night laying down my right to being married, just to say, God, your way, your time, your person, and my right to ever going back into the area of broadcasting. And I can honestly tell you here, nearly 44 years later, I never went back into that. Although because of the my giftings, the world I'm in, and the world we live in today, there's been a lot of opportunities to do that. I, I got to say, when 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 Zoom popped up and I saw your face, I said, this is the face of Monday Night Football right here. Like you just you just look like you you've got that that gift and could could gab about some ball. You know, like you, you, there's that aura about you, sir. Well, um, and my my brother Tom actually he works for um, the Christian Broadcast Network and does their sports stories. Is and that so right? yeah, so I get to kind of cheer him on, and I'm excited when he has those opportunities. Yeah, That's wonderful. So discipleship making is everything to you. Mm. You start at Kona uh, or YWAM yep. for one year and it turned into seven. What were the the big pillars, the, the mm. monuments, if you will, in your memory of progression and what God mm. was doing during that time for you? Yeah. So um, when you go to a discipleship training school, it's usually three months of training and then it's two or three months of an outreach. And my outreach was on a local high school campus, literally from where I had done my DTS, probably a five-minute walk. And we begin to reach out to this high school campus. They had a Christian club, and the Christian teacher said, hey, would you guys send a team? And so there was two girls in the club, both of them named Cindy. So it wasn't hard to remember who these girls were. <laughs> and within about five months, there were 60 kids that would be coming. Wow. And you had, you had the Kona coffee queen. You had the football player. You had the drug addict. You had who encountered Jesus, and their lives just begin to be flipped upside down. And it was during that time that it was kind of my first realization, 18 and a half, almost 19 going, okay, so they gave their lives to Jesus. Awesome. I think they're supposed to grow now. Hmm. And, and, and so what I would do is, as from the campus there in Kona now to where the school is, it's about a 10, 12 mile uh, journey. And so I would get out uh, of my class and I would hitchhike it's a thing that you do in Hawaii, the pickup trucks pull over and you jump in the back. Hey, where are you going? And, and they dump you off. And I would go up three or four days, Monday to Thursday, um, and just hang with them when school was out. And I, I just remember one day when Stanford, a Hawaiian Chinese boy, came running to me when I got there. And he said, you won't believe what happened today, Dave. I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, Cindy, one of the original two, had been sick. She went to the nurse's office. And... Stan and Michelle, who was Michelle was the Kona coffee queen. They said, didn't Dave teach us that if one of us gets sick, we should pray for them. <laughs> and so they go into the nurse's office said, Hey, can we see Cindy kind of get, you know, behind the curtain? And they said, Hey, Cindy, you know, we're learning that like these, these guys are like two months old in the Lord that we're supposed to pray for you. And she had had a bad headache and fever. And so they prayed for her and it was immediately gone. And so they could hardly wait to tell, you won't believe what Jesus did. And it just, you know, those kinds of experience wow. deepened their own walk with the Lord. And of course, it thrilled me, you know, wow, wow. you know, so, um, so those are the kinds of experiences that when you talk about pillars, it was like, if you just obey Jesus, he does stuff. Wow. Dave, that's incredible. And what, what really caught my eye at first was you said, like, you just, you spent time with these kids. Mm. It, it, it wasn't necessarily a, a program to start with. It was, you know, 
there's this there's this relational aspect that's of right. disciple the trust that builds yeah, someone doesn't right. run to you unless they trust you yeah what what part is that in in discipleship mm-hmm. you know because we, we definitely have lots of programs we need to be organized we need to think through next steps but relationship is everything what, what did you learn um, about making disciples uh, when it comes to to relational building there yeah, you you just nailed it. I, I often use the phrase that um, the kingdom of God advances on the rails of relationship, mm. and uh, and it does in every way and form. And you know, I like the passage um, in the Gospels where it says Jesus called the twelve to be with him. It's mm. like before they get into anything else, that there's that little, and that's all it says to be with him. And that, that began to speak to me of the reality of, of, as you said it so well, without trust, you you can only go so far because someone isn't willing to unzip their heart or when you share something of value, it doesn't go in as deeply. And so, yeah, for me, that's, that's huge. Like, like there, there's a burgundy chair right behind me here. And every Tuesday afternoon, there's an 18 year old young man that comes and sits there. And I, I met him just in January and uh, a friend called and said, Dave, do you disciple 18 year olds? I said, sure. If they're hungry for the, for, for Jesus. And so he comes in, he's the all state uh, African-American boy, all state uh, quarterback for the state of Tennessee this last fall. And he's heading to the Naval Academy. So one day maybe their quarterback. Wow. And he just came to me and said, before I go in July, you got to help me grow. Cause he said, I know what I'm getting into. So I said, like, what does this look like to you? And he said, well, these areas started listing areas. So we have a tool called a discipleship journey. It's our tool that we use to disciple people with. And so I gave him a copy and I said, why don't you take this first chapter, which is the way it usually plays out is over four weeks. So I said, why don't you just go through this? And in two weeks, let gets to get together. You'll be halfway through. Well, I get with him. He's through two entire chapters. And he's sitting here and he's looking at me, goes, Dave, obedience, tell me more. Humility, I need more of that. The fear of the Lord, tell me more. And I'm just looking like, who are you? You know, <laughs> but it's, but, but I see again, as we built relationships, so I just took it slow so we could build trust and relationship. But now that relationship is built there, just even in the last four months. I'm amazed at how quickly he'll unzip his heart, how weighty the words are that I'll share. They're, they're, they're not something he just goes, well, I'll think about it. He actually embraces them, takes that truth from scripture and applies it in his life. So um, without relationship, and like you said, if it's just a curriculum or a program, it just doesn't go very far. Mm, wow. So a lot of people hear the Great Commission and uh, and they imagine missionary going as far as you can to the farthest place. But I've always liked the the second part of the, the great commission, which is teaching them all that Jesus has commanded, which yeah. is that, that, that involves there's, there's more than just the planting of the seed. There's the, there's mm-hmm. the watering. So I'm curious if you could, I would love to hear your, um, your painting of discipleship of, you know, what are the different parts? Is, is mm. it, the, is there a seed caster? Is there a, mm. a relationship grower? Is there a, you know, I, I, I'm just curious what that looks like in the discipleship process, because I come from a, a background of just, I remember as a kid thinking if I wasn't out there being a missionary, like 
I was a less, I was just a lesser Christian. I was <laughs> yeah, that's right. filled with guilt, fear, and shame. It ruled my life. Yeah. And, and with guilt, fear, and shame, you, there's just no advancement. There's no ability for God to truly shine through you. Yeah. And so for the person today, we, I kind of just mentioned before while we were talking, you no, know, for the, the truck driver, the grocery store clerk, yeah. the, the missionary on the front lines, what does it look like to be a part of God's kingdom in the discipleship making process? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And you know, I think you're right. Many people feel like uh, things like being a pastor or or even being a Christian school teacher or a missionary is more spiritual. And, and it's not. It's the reality is, is God has wired us in a certain way, each one of us. Um, I use a phrase, uh, giftedness. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is three different components. One is natural abilities. There's been things ever since we were little kids, we've been naturally able to do, whether it's organize or play an mm -hmm. instrument or mm -hmm. sing, or or maybe there's physical dexterity like Jackson's had or, or verbal skills, mm -hmm. relationship building. So I, I like to look at natural abilities and then add to that acquired skills. So just think of acquired skill of some something you've learned from someone else. So it could be high school, university, mentoring, a, a workshop, and then spiritual gifts. And when you combine those three, because oftentimes in church life, we can only focus on spiritual gifts, but those other two pieces are also originated by God. And so you have to put that package together to really understand somebody's giftedness. And there are people that I know, like my friend, Robbie, I am so grateful for him because like, you wouldn't want me to fix your car, but <laughs> Robbie knows how to fix my car. Like I had a, a friend one day come over, Andrea, and we, we had a meeting with uh, my wife, Cheryl and I, and, and she left. I thought about a minute later, she's knocking on the door and she said, my car's not starting. Can you come and look at it? So I go out, we pop the hood and I'm standing there. Just, I got my arms folded, just looking at it like that. She, she starts, she said, you don't know what you're looking for. I said, you didn't ask me to fix it. You asked me to come look at it. And so we had a good laugh and then called somebody <laughs> and got him out. And, and, but it's like, I just, my aptitudes aren't that way. I, I haven't had interest in that. And, and there's not passion points around it and I'm just not gifted at it. But Robbie is, and I'm so grateful that I can take my car to Robbie. He knows what to do. And when I get it back, it works. And, you know, I, I think oftentimes we miss out a lot of our lives when we don't view our vocations through the lens of God's kingdom. It's like the old argument used to be, I remember when I was a kid, secular versus sacred. The thing I love in working with a lot of 20 and 30 somethings these days is they, that's not even there. They just know I'm in my job, but they'll say, Dave, I don't know what I should do for the kingdom, but I'm supposed to do something. And I appreciate that. There's no longer this thing of, well, here's my job and here's my church life. It's one. And so I love watching people in the various vocations catch a vision of the great commission that they can begin to do in their own vocation. Wow. I love that. And, and I love, yeah, I, I remember I was probably on the, the tail end of hearing those a lot. And I would say there's that's still a, a, a vocabulary that I hear every once in a while. Yes. A freedom when it's, um, I'm, I'm here with Jesus. Doesn't matter where it is. You know, yeah. there is no sacred or, or secular. It's yeah. I'm bringing Jesus to the world. You yeah. know, he, he's that's living right. in me and through me. Yeah. So I would love to hear some stories of, those who have been, Hey, this is my life, Dave. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Help me grow in my area of influence. What does it look yeah. like for me 
to become a disciple maker, to follow the great commission when I'm working on cars, when I am going to school, when I am fill in the blank, I would love to hear some of your stories and I would love to hear both success and what you might consider failure or failure that's growing forward. Before we go further, I want to take a quick break and tell you about the publishing expertise offered by Speak It to Book and Sermon to Book, where we help men and women of faith become powerfully positioned to impact lives by collaboratively writing their book and building their ministry platform. If you've longed to write your book and impact a broader audience, our team is here to help, even if you don't have the time or energy to write. We've helped riskers like you secure traditional book deals, hit numerous bestseller lists, keynote to 100,000 people in two years, and get featured on Entrepreneur on Fire, Forbes, and Inc. Schedule a free strategy call at calebrakey.com. Yeah, so let me give you, maybe I'll give you three real quick stories back to back. Um, But first, um, yeah, it's... There are failures and there are, you know, the language I'll use is with my baseball language, there's swings and misses, you know, you'll swing, you'll swing and you'll miss. And you thought that person was really hungry and really committed and, and you were trying to go after that and help them. And then they just kind of walk away. It's a very sad day for me when that kind of thing happens. And sometimes it had to do with maybe I didn't handle it right relationally, or maybe I focused too much on this thing when I should have been focusing on this thing to help them. So, but, but being practical, here's, here's a couple of stories. Um, so a cardiologist friend of mine, Cleveland, Ohio, met him about 20 some years ago. And when we met, you know, I could tell, and it's still true to this day, probably the smartest person I've ever met, which is a good thing when someone's opened up your chest and working on your heart. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but here's what he said to me. He said, Dave, I'm not a good relator. He said, I, because I'm so task oriented, I run over people. And then there's body parts all over and I'm, I'm trying to love, I'm trying, but I don't know how. So we spent some time developing out of Romans 12, 10, outdo one another in showing honor. And I began to teach him how to honor those around him. So if you or I had heart surgery with John yesterday, he'd pull up a chair this morning, tell us from his eyes how that went. But then he would also ask the condition of our personal heart. He would talk with us. He would pray with us. John's become a good relator, but it's because someone took the time to disciple him, not only personally, but vocationally. Uh, I'll relate something here. And I'm in Franklin, Tennessee. So the Nashville area, so lots of artists around us. And and one artist um, came to us uh, about year 2000. She had a brand new hit song. And she said, would you pray for me and my family are going on a radio tour? And I said, I would, but I don't know what that is. And she said, well, what that is, is we go from a country music station to country music station on the bus for about six, seven weeks. They interview me. They share my songs. Got it. Exposure. Yes. We pray. As I'm listening to the Lord, uh, just as we're praying uh, after the amen, I, I said to her, hey, can I run something past you? And she said, sure. I said, are you first a follower of Jesus or are you first an artist? She said, I'm first a follower of Jesus. I said, well, that's what I thought. So, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, regardless of your celebrity, we still serve people. She said, tell me more about that. So I just began to pour some things in there. I said, so can I suggest something? She said, let's just say you pull up to a stop in Phoenix, Arizona. And, you know, there's people there with pads and pens. They want your autograph. I said, look at them kindly with your eyes, knowing you'll be back in five, 10 minutes. But I said, you had a station manager or an owner of that station invite you. So look for them first. Don't assume they, quote, know who you are. 
extend your hand, introduce yourself, introduce your family, and then say something like this. While we're here with you today, would you please tell us how we can serve you and your radio station? She said, I'll do it. Six weeks later, we're having a breakfast at Cracker Barrel, and she's telling us what Jesus did in her life. She still, 20-some years later now, still looks for ways to serve her band. And she was female vocalist of the year in country music a number of years ago, but she still has a heart to serve. Wow. I, a government leader who I began to pour into worked in the White House, and I I begin to teach him about the fear of the Lord. I, I like to define the fear of the Lord as reverencing and referencing God in all that you do. And so he's very center in, in all that you're doing. I'm God, he's God, I'm not, he's got to guide me. I'm dependent. And so I taught him the fear of the Lord. And this guy had been, if I can play off our conversation, a discipled by one of the best political operatives of our day. And after he'd learned about the fear of the Lord, uh, Darren came to me and he just said, this means I can't shade truth anymore. Doesn't it? This means I can't manipulate people to get a vote. So that's mm. exactly right. You need to walk in love and truth. And so imagine a government leader that fears the Lord. See, so so it's those kinds of things where you see disciple making, making a difference in people's lives. Wow, that's so powerful. I love that. So you you, you play a, an important role of dis, in disciple making. You are, you know, could someone ever be ill-equipped to, mm-hmm. to disciple make? Cause I imagine mm-hmm. there's a lot of listening, God, like, I, I feel like you're putting this person on my heart. I, yeah. I feel like I should disciple this person. And yet I don't want to screw them up. Yeah. I, I want to point yeah, yeah. them in the right direction. Yeah. How often have you had, you know, had that tension in your own life? Mm-hmm. And is there a point where for, for different Christians are like, they could do more harm than good. Mm. I, I don't even know. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Yeah, there, particularly as a younger guy, I, you know, as you get older, you gain a little steam, you know, but as a younger guy too, it was like, yeah, I just, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't know my Bible as well as Charlie down the street. I, but, but disciple making really is, um, particularly if you're a person still willing to grow, you actually grow faster when you're discipling other people because you see, I don't know the answer to that. I got to go find it out. And you, you end up growing. And so the, one of the things I will often tell people is all you got to do is be a step or two further along than that person. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, while you're discipling them, look for someone who can be continuing to pour into you. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of that idea of, so think of um, Barnabas, Paul, and Timothy. If you're the Paul, you want a Barnabas, hmm. you know? And you, if you're a Paul, you want a Timothy. So there's someone speaking into your life and there's others, you know, that you're pouring into. So I, that's one of the ways that, that I think can help people breathe a little bit is realize, look, just take and disciple people in the things where you have a little muscle in the Lord. And it might just be a little muscle, but they got no muscle. All right. And um, I, I don't know, like I, I will always want people to speak into my life till my last breath. And because I just know that there's things that I still don't see and understand. And, and so you always want to have those people around you. And I do that speak into my life. Um, but don't let that fear, don't let that pause cause you not to obey Jesus's great commission. Step into it and watch what God will do in and through you. You'll be amazed. Hmm. I love it. Dave, when, um, when you have a, a young person 
who uh, is showing the signs they I want to be discipled. Um, and then, or maybe this, this might be a better way of, of phrasing it. Is there ever a time when, as you are identifying someone and working with someone that it can, it can become, I'm trying to figure the contrast between discipling someone mm-hmm. who maybe is resistant mm-hmm. and then getting to a point where it's almost pearls before swine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of, should I ever stop? Should, mm-hmm. should I ever stop? You mm-hmm. know, how do you just, how do you, do, how do you work through the yeah. flow of like, I think this person wants to grow in Jesus and, and God, I'm here for that. But, uh, it seems like we're getting nowhere. Well, what do I do? No, that's a great question. And, and I think that's, um, representing a lot of people who are probably listening because they wonder about that. And so let me tell you the process I work through, and then I'll tell you what I've had to literally do in those situations. So, so here's the process I walk through, and I, I'm hoping this will be practical for, for those listening today. So, um, here's how you can begin. Like if you just think, who should I disciple now, obviously if you have a family, you want to start with your own family. Okay. But beyond that, ask yourself this question and I'll repeat it twice. Cause it's a, sounds a little odd at first. Ask yourself this question in whose ears are my words big? In whose ears are my words big? In other words, when you share something with them, you notice they're really listening. They actually go do it and they often come back for more. I think we blow past that way too fast. And and so I'm going to land a little more dramatic and say, that's the Holy Spirit revealing to you, I've given you favor in that person's life. Wow. That's a a huge deal. And so then you you see, when you look at it that way, you, you steward it differently, right? So I always say, so take a piece of paper, take your phone, open a note and jot down who are those people where your words are big in their ears. Then secondly, ask this question amongst those people who are those, and this is my acronym, just because it's easy for me to remember, who are fast. And here's what I mean by that. F, they're faithful. Like if I invited them into some kind of a relationship of discipling, they're not going to be flaky. They'll be faithful. Okay. The A represents available. They'll make it a priority on their calendar. They'll make themselves available for it. S for me is servant hearted, that there's somebody that will be, they will take what they're giving and they will use it to serve other people. And T is teachable. Like it's never fun when, oh, I knew that, you know, you want people that are teachable. So in whose ears are your words big? There's a pool for you. Then it narrows when you go through fast. And then at that point is often when I will bring that group of people together. And it might be like for my wife, she likes groups of three or four. I like more like 10 or 12. And that's totally on your wiring. What, mm-hmm. Some people say, no, one-on-one's the only way. And I'll say, well, Jesus did 12, you know? Mm-hmm. And so so it's it, I think it's totally based on a person's wiring. And you know, kind of, okay, once it gets here, it's, it's not manageable for me. And so what I'll do is I'll invite them together. And by the way, I don't ever say to someone, I'm going to disciple you. I just will say to them, hey, let's grow as disciples together. And they'll they'll figure it out as we go, you know, that what I'm I'm doing more intentionally with them is we're growing as disciples. And when I'm in a room with them or I'm on, I'm on Zoom with them and they all say, Dave, I'm in. 
I will take the time, like if it's on Zoom and just kind of do this, or you know, we're in the living room together, I'll just look them in the eye and I ask this question, because this is the make or break thing for me. I'll just say to them, are you willing to match my commitment? Because I will be there. And it, and especially if it's a 5.30 a.m. or 6.30 in the morning kind of deal, it makes it real for people. Are you willing to match my commitment? And so then at that point, along with, of course, Jesus prayed about it all night. And I'm not saying you have to pray all night, but this whole process is surrounded by prayer where you're discerning. And what that does is I find when I do that, I'm not chasing. I'm not chasing people. And I'm pouring into those that have voluntarily said, yeah, I'm in. I want to do it. So it's a way to whittle that problem that we were discussing down significantly. Now, I have had people that have said, I'm all in. And yes, I will match your commitment. And this was a uh, one we did on Zoom probably seven, eight years ago. And the first three mornings, uh, they weren't there on every Wednesday morning. And um, each time I sent, first one, I'm assuming it's technology problems, but it wasn't. They said, slept, overslept, forgot. So I said, okay, guys, remember next week. After three times, I, I said to them, look, I can tell, and I said in these tones, I can tell that you're in a season of your life where there's either just too much going on or this isn't able to be a priority because you looked at me in the eye and said, I will match your commitment and you haven't. I love you. You're my friend. I'll pray with you. We'll go to ball games together, but you're just not in that space to be able to be discipled. So when you're ready to match that commitment anytime, you're in again. But for now, I'm not going to keep you in that loop of sending you texts about it. And, and it causes people to have a reality check. You know, J Jesus left the 99 to go after the one. That's pastoral. The discipleship picture is when the rich young ruler came. Sell your possessions, give it to the poor and follow me. And he didn't. And the thing we have to note there is Jesus didn't track him down, say, just give away half, we'll call it good. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we lower the bar so low that we're not actually gaining maturity in people's lives. Wow. So Dave, I always ask people this, uh, and I, I'm very curious because you, you've, you risked a lot. Your story started with risk of taking a, a path that was different than what you had envisioned. Mm -hmm. And now, I mean, the, the risk of pouring into someone of, uh, being vulnerable, you know, you can't mm -hmm. lead someone where, where you're yeah. not willing to walk yourself. Yeah. And, and also the responsibility before God to, to say, mm. Hey, thank, like, thank you for trusting these souls. Yeah, totally. Be my power through this. Risk is blank to you. Mm. I would like the first response that comes to me is risk is adventure to me, but the, the core inside me is risk is obedience to Jesus. It's like, I, there's times that the Lord asks me to do something, you know, when you're praying in your word or, you know, God just shows you something. Risk is obedience to Jesus, but without it, we gain nothing. Mm. And, and my risk in situations where the Lord has said, pray for this person, or like not long ago, I was in Nepal and, you know, I just felt like the Lord led me to go there and we're working with a human trafficking organization. We're having the privilege of we're discipling our tool into Nepalese because they don't have discipleship materials. And that risk of going in obedience to Jesus has led to fruit. And for me, risk is obeying the Lord because 
you know he usually asks you to do something much bigger than you can accomplish, which means he'll do it through you. But then on the back end, it's like, awesome, you know, Mm -hmm. and you see him more, you love him more, you've grown in him more and lives have been touched more. So I would say the bigger answer for me would be obedience. Wow. Risk is obedience to Jesus. And, and I, I have to ask this question. You took a risk to, to be obedient and making disciples many, many years ago. If you were to walk through uh, mm-hmm. your, your own hall of fame of what Jesus has done in your life, and you're just slowly walking through, you're remembering things from 20 mm-hmm. years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. What are some things in that, that almost like in Hebrews where we got the wall of faith, right? Like mm-hmm. what are those things that Jesus has done in your life mm-hmm. that just bring a smile to you and go, this was the right thing to do. This was, this is what following Jesus has meant. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it. I mean, I could give you, um, stories of fruit, but what the Lord's done in my own life, like, um, if we would spend time and get to know each other more, you would find that I'm talking a lot about God's character and his ways. God's character is who he is. His ways is how he does stuff. And that has marked my life. And that, that began to happen in my seven years in youth with a mission. Like, so a phrase I often use is the image of God that you carry around in your heart and mind affects the way you live your daily life. And I have realized I'm so grateful for the way that God through his word has shown me more and more of what he's like. I, I, I don't have my Bible here with me. I have an iPad, that Bible today, but, um, if I would show you my Bible, you'd see I've highlighted with a purple pencil every name, title, and attribute of God's character in my Bible. So when I open my Bible, his character screams at me. <laughs> and and I, I constantly feel like a kindergartner in his presence in that way because it's like, man, I knew your power, but I see your power. Or I know <laughs> your mercy, but I didn't know you were that merciful, you know? And... And then when it comes to God's ways, how God does things, I, I have just been blown away at how, you know, like a phrase I use a lot is what God initiates, he permeates. What I initiate, I have to sustain. And many of us are exhausted because we, we've tried to initiate something and ask God's blessing on it. And it never, you never, it never works that way. It's not that way in scripture. It's always God initiates and we follow. And all those, you know, hall of faith people that you just mentioned, if you look at all their stories, God initiated Noah, build the ark, Abraham, leave your father and go to a land. They're all God's initiated and they have followed. And so those, those would be two pieces in my life that are more, maybe not outward fruit, but inward fruit that God's added to my life that without those, I know I would not be who I am today. Wow. And Dave, thanks for sharing. That's just, it, it, brings a, a smile to my heart just to see God working and, mm. and just the, the faithfulness. And also I love that you poured yourself into seeing the character, like, like screaming from the page. Mm. One of my mm. favorite quotes was years ago about writing. And it was that when you shout, the reader hears a whisper. Mm. And so to surround yourself with, with God's like almost, it, you took a, a whisper from what we read and it became a shout. And yeah. And I love that. Uh, well, hey, if you're listening today, I encourage you, 
dive into what it means to be a disciple in your mm. place and your vocation in your family. Uh, what does it mean for you? What gifts have God given you? Really, I think this is one of those podcasts where you gotta you gotta rewind it and listen again because I think there's many things that you could be thinking on. Um, from this podcast that are going to really help you in your walk with Jesus. Thank you everyone for listening to the Riskers podcast. Please subscribe everywhere podcasts are found. If you've enjoyed today's episode with Dave, leave a five-star review. Tell us your discipleship making mm. uh, efforts, where you've failed, where you've succeeded, where mm. you were just throwing your hands up because you have no idea what's going on. And then finally, if God's calling you to risk to, to heal a pain or solve a problem in this world, well, get started, reach out connect with someone who, who's a couple steps ahead of you and, and get started there. So Dave, thank you so much for being a guest on the Riskers podcast. It's been awesome, brother. Thanks. I've appreciated and enjoyed being with you. Thank you for listening to the Riskers podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Speak It to Book and Sermon to Book, where we're on a mission to teach kingdom-minded men and women how to write, publish, and market best-selling books and build world-class platforms. To learn more, go to www.calebrakey.com.